Oh. You guys are in for it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. I haven't got to preach for two weeks. Let me just say publicly thank you to Pastor Walker uh, for, for the job that he has done the past couple of Sundays. Uh, you know, he said that he was the, the JV team last week or something like that, uh, or the backup QB or something, only in the sense where Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith. Will I, will I sign on to that? <laughs> I'm the Alex Smith is what I'm trying to say. So soon my leg will be broken. And, you know. But God is good. And, and I publicly thank you, Pastor Walker, for, for allowing God to use you and allowing, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was, it was a tremendous blessing to, for, to, to know that, you know, we were all in good hands, Pastor Walker. So thank you for your faithfulness. Um, <clears throat> Thank you for your faithfulness to the church and for your great help to me. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about taking risks this morning. Um, back in 2005 or six, uh, my family went on vacation to Branson. Here's a, here's a shot. Here's a picture of it. Uh, that's Hannah. Uh, we, re- we went with uh, uh, Chuck and Rachel Griffith and their family at that time. There's Miles. Uh, <laughs> You can see Miles is really happy to have the life jacket on. Um, he cried the whole time. Um, okay, and this is where I want to stop for a second. So we, we, went, we, we went with uh, Ch- uh, Chuck and Rachel Griffith and Aubrey. I think Aubrey was their only child at the time. And uh, we rented this place together. We rented a boat together on Table Rock Lake. So we're out on this boat, and we see this cliff where we, people were jumping off. Now, I know that doesn't look too high. But if you were standing where I was standing right then, it was high. Uh, so anyway, this is, we anchored the boat and we swam over there. He's like, hey, let's go jump. And I'm like, okay. And if any of you know Chuck very well, you know he's crazy. No, just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> he's adventurous. Uh, he likes to do, do crazy things. He, he, he likes the experience. When he goes somewhere, he wants the experience. And so we swim over here, we climb up uh, to the top of this rock, and that was no small feat. And so we're standing there, and I got scared to death. I was like, yeah, this isn't a good idea. I don't think, and he jumps in and climbs back up. The whole time I'm just kind of standing there looking over. And uh, this young lady, about probably the age of this little girl who has flowers around her head right up here, probably about her age, walks up to me and says, excuse me, sir, if you're not going to jump, do you mind if I go ahead? <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 go ahead. And she like does two flips and, you know, and like all these people are jumping and I just got stage fright. I got scared. Let me give you a little bit of background. I've never been on a roller coaster ever, except for the one time at Universal Studios when my family tricked me. <laughs> but I hate roller coasters. I don't like, I don't like heights. I don't like anything like that. Uh, so we're up, I'm up there and I'm scared to death. And, you know, Chuck has already jumped a couple times. The, um, the tiny girl has already jumped three or four times. Everybody's making me look silly. And, and uh, Chuck said something to me. He said, what you decide in the next few minutes is going to forever mark how you remember this story. It's either going to be a time you chickened out and wished you had jumped, 
or it's going to be the time you manned up <laughs> and jumped in the water. And so go to the next slide, Susie. That's me falling into the water. I made the jump. I took the risk. Some risks are worth taking. I don't know if this risk was worth taking. Just being able to say I jumped. I mean, I don't know if that risk was worth taking. But some risks are worth taking. And I want to talk just a little bit about that this morning. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to John, the fourth chapter. This is actually what we're studying in Bible study, but I felt like God was speaking to me through this passage so much that I needed to bring it to the whole church. Um, we're going to read about Jesus taking a risk. And, you know, I'm going to say some things this morning that I feel are risky. I may lose some of you. I don't think I'm going to lose you, but I think you might be like, what? I don't know about that. Um, so we're going to read John, the fourth chapter, 1 through 42. So just sit back and relax. It's going to take a second to get through it. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to read it. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. If you have a King James Bible, it says he must needs to go through Samaria. Um, I lost my place. I shouldn't have. So he came to the city of Samaria, Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, uh, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor have to come here to draw again. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, yeah, you're, you, have, you have said well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you... Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Uh, we worship, uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he would even be talking to this woman. Um, yet nobody said, uh, what do you want or what are you, why are you talking with her? <sighs> Sorry. The woman... <laughs> Then left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you don't know about. Uh, therefore the disciples said to one another, Has someone brought him something? Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And to finish his work, do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not, for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors." And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of this woman who testified. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we, have, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would use it today, Lord, as we look into it, God, that you would change us, Lord, in these next few moments as I begin to speak. God, I pray that we would be drawn closer to you. May we see uh, the life that you want us to live. May we be transformed into your image this day. I thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was a lot of scripture reading, wasn't it? But that's good. Now you have the whole context of the story. Amen? So Jesus is taking a risk here, and I want to talk just a little bit about that. We read um, first that Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee. I have a map uh, that I'd like to show you. So Jesus is in Judea, down here. He's going to Galilee, up here. And this is Samaria. Now, the scripture says that Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. But at that time, there, were, there was a road along this river. And then you could come in to Galilee uh, through the backside, or you could go along the sea. And that would have been, I mean, there is a debate among biblical scholars. But most biblical scholars believe that the preferred route would have been to go around Samaria. Why? Well, because we, we get a little bit of this from the Samaritan woman. Because Jews and Samaritans don't click. They don't like each other. Why are you asking me for a drink? Because I'm a woman, for one, and I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. What are you doing? Jesus is taking a risk here. Jesus is breaking down barriers. It would have been about a hundred mile uh, journey to go straight, depending on what part of Judea he was in. 
about a 100-mile journey as the crow flies straight through Samaria. But if he would have went around, he'd have had to, it'd cost him about uh, two days uh, to go around. Jesus goes straight through Samaria. I have another uh, map back there. Uh, the next one. Is it, did I send you another one? Okay. You're fired. No. <laughs> Pick up your last fake check that you don't get. Forgive me, Lord. I have another map in my phone that shows the roads that Jesus would have likely taken, that would have taken him right to Sychar, to Jacob's well. I'm sorry, Susie. I don't mean to. I don't know what's the matter with me. <clears throat> One of my favorite things about the text is where it says Jesus was tired. Jesus, weary from his journey. They didn't have um, Nike Air Max back then. They didn't have, uh, what are some of the other good walking shoes? They didn't have um, New Balance. They didn't have Stride Right. They didn't have uh, Sakomi, whatever that one's called. They didn't have these things. They were... They're wearing handmade sandals. Have you ever walked? We went to the, I made the mistake one time going to the mall in a pair of flip-flops. I don't know why we're talking about flip-flops so much up here. You're going to see me wearing socks and flip-flops on Flip-Flop Sunday. I'll tell you that. And you'll thank me. Uh, <laughs> but I wore flip-flops to a mall one time, and I walked around the, oh, the mall. I've never been to the mall with my wife. You look at things. You walk around a lot. And uh, boy, I just, I haven't been up here for two weeks. I'm just letting it all out right now. (laughs) And my feet start hurting because I had no support. Anybody who wears flip-flops a lot, you know, you do a lot of walking, you're in trouble, especially if you're not used to them. So Jesus was tired. He was weary. This is a, this is a hundred mile walk. You ever been GPS in something and they accidentally think you're walking instead of driving, and you're like, what? It's going to take seven hours? And like, oh, you just switch that over. Well, that's what GPS was back then. They didn't have the drive feature. And uh, so Jesus would have been tired. I love this. I love that John gives us this detail. He could easily left this out, and it would not have affected the story that much. But Jesus was tired. He was showing his humanity. We get tired, right? Because... Because I know that Jesus got tired, I don't always feel bad about when I'm tired. Because if Jesus got tired and he was all God and all man, then it's okay if I sit down and rest sometime. Some of us need to realize that, that it's okay to relax and rest sometime. Some of us, like me, uh, I think it's always rest time. It's always relax time. But some of you have the opposite thing going on. You never can rest. You never let your mind rest. You never let your body rest. You'll never just sit down and relax. It's okay to relax and rest. That's not even in my notes, any of that. That's all free preaching. But Jesus, what Jesus does here is unheard of for its time. Uh, 700 years prior to this, the Assyrians had come and overthrown the region known as Samaria. And then at that time, they exported out a lot of the, the Jewish people, and they, they brought in a lot of other people that they had captured and populated this area with people who were not Jews. There were still some Jews left there. They began to, to intermarry. So the Jews did not like the Samaritans. 
They did not invite them to be part of the building of the temple. Um, and so the Samaritans built their own temple, built their own temple in the mountain. That's why the Samaritan woman will say, we worship in this mountain. You say, the Jews say we have to go to Jerusalem. So there's racial tension here. And Jesus goes right into it. He said, I have to go through Samaria. Now, he, he may have been saying, we're not given this picture. He may have been saying, that's the fastest way, fellas. That's the way we're going. Or he may have been saying, I need to go through this uncomfortable place. I need to walk through this place where there's racial tension, where there's um, inequality, where there's... And you know what? We have to walk through Samaria too. We have to face some of the things in our nation that we don't want to talk about. We have to face racial inequality. We have to face racism in our country, in our cities, in our churches. I knew it'd get quiet. <laughs> Come on, just tell some more jokes. We have to go through Samaria or we won't get to Judea. We won't make it to Cana if we don't face the things that are facing us. We can pretend they don't exist. We can act like they never happened. 300 years before Jesus is, is talking to this lady, uh, the Samaritan temple had been burnt by some Jewish people. And the tensions were still there after 300 years. And we think because something happened 100 years ago in this country, there should be no tension. And we didn't do that. And that wasn't us. It's time to go through Samaria. It's time to face our ugly past so that we can go to a beautiful future. I want to go to Cana. I want to make it to Cana, to the place of the wedding. Because what the text is going to say, he had to go to Cana. And then later it says, he came to Cana where he turned the water into wine, which was at a wedding. Symbolically here, I don't know if, if, if this was John's intent or not, uh, but we have to go through Samaria if we want to get to Cana. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They were different ethnicities. They had different religious beliefs. They had rival temples. And Jesus walked right into that. He didn't avoid it. He didn't brush past it. He walked into it. The Samaritans were discriminated against. They were a false religion, according to all of Jesus' friends and contemporaries. But Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. He said, I've got to go through there. I must go through Samaria. And we have to stop avoiding Samaria. We have to stop. And, you know, I know some people say, I don't like it when they talk about race in church. Well, then don't read the Bible because it's all about race. The Samaritan woman, the, I mean, the Phoenician woman, the Ethiopian eunuch, every story in the Bible it's time to stop avoiding Samaria. Time to go right through it. Okay. Now that everybody's sweating and uncomfortable. Uh, 
the woman comes to the well at noon. This is an uncommon practice. You don't go to the well in the middle of the day. You don't go when the sun is the hottest. Why was she going at noon? Because she didn't want to be around other people. She's going at noon because she didn't want, she didn't want to run into people. She didn't want, she was tired of the gossip. She was tired of the, the rumors. She was tired. Oh, here she comes. You know that guy she's with? That's not her husband. Yeah, we look back and say, oh, those people were terrible if they were saying that. What do we say? What do we say about people? What do we say about image bearers of God? Man, I didn't know I was going to be so mad this morning. This was a joyous message. I was putting it together. We're going to Cana. Come on, let's go through Samaria. You'll have to forgive me. It's been a couple weeks since I've gotten the chance. I'll be a little more tame next week. This was uncommon practice to come at noon. She wanted to be alone. She didn't want the stares, the judgment, the gossiping. Uh, in fact, that we, we see later that she like, says to Jesus, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming here. I don't want to come here anymore. I'm tired of what I encounter. I'm tired of having to come at noon when it's hot so I don't run into anybody. She didn't want the stares and the... But Jesus takes a chance. Jesus breaks tradition. Jesus breaks cultural rules. He breaks racial rules. He talks to a woman. I mean, we're talking about first century. Uh, ladies, there wasn't a lot, you know. I mean, the, the uh, feminist movement probably should have happened then. I'm just kidding. I, I'm not saying that they should have done that. They would have all been slaughtered. Look what they did to anybody who tried to fight for rights. Look what this country did to people who tried to fight for their rights. Uh, anyway, there I go again, making people mad. Uh, Jesus breaks tradition. He breaks racial rules. He talks to a woman. Even she is stunned by his interaction with her. But you know what? Jesus didn't come to make a name for himself. Jesus didn't worry about his reputation. In Philippians uh, 2, 5 through 7, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus was not worried about what you thought or I thought. He was there to bring healing to those who were hurting. They said of him, why do you eat with them? Why do you eat with them? Because they're unclean. Why are you talking? His disciples come like, why are you talking to her? We're worried about our reputation. Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't worried about ruin ruining his good name. He would rather have people concerned about who he was seen with than think that he was moral. Think about that for a second. I mean, we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, did not care about their morality rules. He put helping other people above that. Man. <clears throat> he didn't care what people thought. And because he didn't care what people thought, he could touch the leper, he could eat with sinners, and he could talk with the woman at the well. Jesus understood that his identity was not from his reputation. Where do we think our identity comes from? 
Now, there's so much that could be said here, and I'm not going to say I've already said enough to make you all mad at me, so we'll save what I want to say right now for another time. But if your identity comes anywhere other than Jesus Christ, if it comes from any flag, if it comes from any nationality, then that's your God. You know, I heard somebody talking about Antioch this week, and it says in Antioch they were first called Christians. And then this person had done a study on the town of Antioch. Uh, it's in the book of Acts. And the town of Antioch had segregation. They had 18 different nationalities that they kept the people segregated in. 18 different ones. But when the gospel came to Antioch, people started crossing those lines and started coming together and they needed a new term. What do we call these people that don't care what color the other one is? They don't care how much money the other ones have. What do we call these people who don't care about these social rules? What, what, what should we call them? Christians. If that doesn't describe you, Christian, stop using that term. If you look at someone and judge them by the color of their skin or by uh, what kind of car they drive or how much money they have or if they, what they order at McDonald's, if they have to order from the dollar menu or from the... I mean, we're all at McDonald's. Just some of us are ordering off the dollar menu and some of us are getting the $9 chicken sandwich. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I just got that combo the other day, and I was like, no, I just wanted one. <laughs> and it was a small fry and a small drink. <laughs> I don't know where that, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, the term Christian was given first to those people who didn't care about class distinctions, who didn't care about race distinctions. And that's what we got to get back to. And the only way to get there is to go through Samaria and address things that are uncomfortable to talk about. Okay. The word Christian has become watered down. It has become watered down. Somebody tells you you're, you're a Christian, in some, some circles it's like, you're one of those? No, Christian should be Christ follower, a Christ one. And when we get on our political rants and we get on our Facebook and we, we're not Christ ones. Okay. Let me get to my notes. Maybe, that'll, maybe that will deliver us, deliver us from this. No, probably not. We got to go through Samaria. Okay, and here's something I love about Jesus in this story. Even when he's exhausted, he still speaks life to people. Even when he's resting, He's not, okay, I'm shutting off from the world for a little bit. I just need my me time. I'm going to sit here at this well, and I no one better approach me. I'm mad. I'm tired. Those stupid disciples arguing about who's going to sit on my right and my left. They're all going to scatter anyway. Oh, man. 
Even when he's tired, he can still bring life to people. Even when he's exhausted, he doesn't lose track of his mission. You ever been cranky and tired? What do we say about kids when they're tired? Oh, they need a nap. They need a belt. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I used to think that until I had kids, or until Miles was born. And then it was like, I mean, because Hannah was such a good kid, I thought, why, is this, why do people say this is hard? And then Miles is a great kid now. He's just, just a troubled toddler. Uh, <laughs> I literally one time got a suitcase out of his closet and I said, that's it. I'm filling this up. I said, nobody who lives in this house is going to talk to their mom that way. <laughs> he reminds me of that every once in a while. Raising kids is hard. Uh, what was I talking about? Dear heavens. Oh, we say kids are tired and cranky. Yeah. Well, Jesus was tired. And, and how do we get when we get tired and cranky? It become, we become obsessed with sleep, right? It becomes the one thing that's driving us. I've been that tired a couple times in my life. Okay, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And I want you to think about what is happening here. He doesn't have a cup. He's going to have to drink after. He's going to have to use her utensil. Jesus was going to become ceremonially unclean just from taking this drink, and he didn't care. Jesus doesn't care about your morality rules and your... And your... He wants to help people. And he was willing to make himself dirty to help someone. And I don't know about you, but I took biology. I don't like drinking after other people. And this is the Son of God. Surely he knows about microbiology and germs. Okay, don't say it. All the kids are gone. I mean, after all, she had five, six husbands. Oh, forgive me, Lord, that was awful. Okay, I need to move on. Uh, this is, and, and think about what's happening right here for just a second. We know that in, in Jesus we have God. I mean, Scripture tells us that God was in, Jesus was God. And he's at, God asks somebody for a drink. God makes himself vulnerable. I love that when we read about how Jesus made himself vulnerable. And God asks for a drink. She's shocked by the question. She knows he shouldn't be talking to her. She knows he doesn't have uh, anything to drink. He'd have to use her utensil. Uh, and he says, if you knew the gift of God. And if we knew the gift of God that we had, we would be trying to give out this living water to everybody we came in contact with. If we truly understood the gift of God that we have, if we could get a glimpse of an idea of, of what we have available to us, if we can understand how amazing this gift is, we take it for granted so often. Jesus says to her, I, got li I have living water. And she's like, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus gives living water. In John 7, uh, jumping ahead in the, the book, he's, on the last day of that great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom, who those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus uses the same terminology, though, in John the 7th chapter, as he uses with her in John the 4th chapter. Living water will come out of you. 
If you accept the gift that Jesus has given you, living water will come out of you, and it won't just be for you. It will be for others. That's why Jesus gives the Spirit, so that this river will come out of us and water the ground around us. It's not all about us. It's not all about you. That's hard lesson to learn. You know, children are egocentric. Amelia has not learned yet that the world's not about her. Oliver hasn't learned yet that the world's not about her. Some of us haven't learned yet that the world's not about us. We haven't got past that egocentricness. It's about taking in this living water that Jesus gives us, letting it flow up out of us and water those around us. Okay. (sighs) She says, I'm thirsty, give me this water. Uh, I'm tired of coming here every day. I don't want to come back. Jesus says, go get your husband. I want to stop just a second and talk about this. We have talked about this woman as though uh, I have heard preachers talk about this woman in poor light, like she was promiscuous woman and, and all this. I mean, we got to understand the, the culture that she's living in. Women could not initiate divorce back then. They couldn't. This is a woman who... And, and, and furthermore, for a single woman to, to survive on her own, an old, someone of her age, would be very difficult without being married. Now, I know some of you are wanting to push back on that and say, I'm an I'm a independent woman. I don't need no man. You're right. You don't. But in the first century, things were different. This was, this was not a woman who had poor morals. This is a woman who was either extremely unlucky in that all of her husbands had died or had come across a lot of bad dudes. Hey, there's a lot of bad dudes out there. This most likely was a woman who had been abused, who was part of the, who was a victim of the system. This wasn't a bad woman. This wasn't an immoral woman, for a most likely, because she would have been ostracized by the community and not remarried time and time again. So I, I, I want you to cleanse your mind of the pictures of this, of this woman that you've had in the past. Jesus says to her, go get your husbands. Go get your husband. He didn't say yes. Uh, she, said, she said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. He said, you've had five. The guy that you're with now is not your husband. Um, And she says to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. You know that much about me. Uh, Then she begins to point out, she changes the subject and starts pointing out their religious differences to Jesus. You Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. And uh, Jesus talks to her about God is spirit. And we will, God is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And, uh, and Jesus says to her, the time is coming and has now come where God will be worshipped in spirit and in truth. God's presence will not be found in Jerusalem only. God's presence will not be found in your temple only. God's presence can be found in a church, at a ball game, at a school, in a hospital, in a homeless shelter, in the company of the married, in the company of the divorced, in the company of, uh, 
at a, at a food kitchen, in a bar, in a crack house, in a courtroom, in a jail cell, in a prison, on death row, in a cage at the border. God's presence can be anywhere, at any time, as long as there are people. As long as there are people there. And it's time that we start looking at the people that I just named in places of those as people, as image bearers of God. Have they made all the right choices? No. Have you? Let me answer it for you. No. I wanted to make you uncomfortable this morning. I wanted to take a risk. I wanted to push you this morning. Jesus shouldn't have been talking to this woman. But he didn't care. When's the last time one of your friends took you aside and said, Hey, man, are you sure you should be trying to help them? Are you sure you should be reaching out to them? If that's never happened to you, then you're not walking the Jesus walk. Good, upstanding people should be concerned about the company you keep if you're a follower of Jesus. Man, that's, that's rough. I mean, you should have people, the disciples come back and they say, Jesus, though they don't say it, they think it. They're too scared to say it. Jesus, why are you talking to her? Why is he talking to her? I mean, I can imagine the conversation if your friends have never asked you, yeah, you think you're doing too much for them? Sure, you should be trying to help them. What if, what if they're taking that money and buying drugs? I was at Quick Trip in Kansas City uh, last week. Not last week. I don't remember when it was. <laughs> it's been a while. I don't want to lie and say it was last week. And there's a guy out front. I don't know if he's playing the tambourine or something. What was it? Harmonica. And a lady, a handle was there. And a lady, lady walked up to him, and like when I saw this woman interact with this man, I thought, that is Jesus talking to that man right now. I mean, there was the love of Jesus in her. She gave him some money. She didn't just give him money and walk away. She was, she was like talking to him and taking interest in him and investing in him. She leaves. As I'm, we're walking in, of course, I'm going to get the big cue. Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Diet Dr. Pepper. I mean, come on. I got the Diet Dr. Pepper so I could get two steak and cheese uh, wraps. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't really. Uh, but anyway, he comes in, the quick trip, and he goes and he buys um, alcohol and lottery tickets. And if I were one of the disciples, I would say, and could have a conversation with that woman, I would say, are you sure you should be helping him? Are you sure you should show compassion to him? Because look what he did. I mean, he does what all of us, he did what every single one of us fears somebody does when we help them. I hope they don't do that. I mean, think about that. That's what we don't want to happen when we give to those. But if we give it as unto Jesus, 
then it doesn't matter. Because Jesus said, what you do to the least of these is what you do to me. Amen. What you do to that guy outside Quick Trip, how you treat him, if you treat him like a person, if you, if you get down on his level, I'm not telling you to empty your bank account or take away from your kids so that he can have lottery tickets and booze. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But I'm telling you to treat everybody you come in contact with like they are an image bearer of God because they are. Whether they're falsely imprisoned or whether they need to be there, we still treat them like an image bearer of God. Oh, boy. So whatever I just talked about in that little list, whatever made you cringe the most and want to push back the most, that's where you know that God needs to do the most work on you. So engage that. Don't run from it. Engage it. Okay. It's 1130. At 10.50, you were all in such a good mood. Now you're all mad. Then I did my job. I went to hear a preacher one time, and he said, I don't care if you leave happy. He said, I came to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. (laughs) And I've never forgot that. You shouldn't leave this place thinking, oh, you know what? I'm doing a pretty good job. You know what? I feel pretty good about myself. That was a nice little message. Maybe, you know, I can work on uh, talking better to myself in the mirror in the morning every day when I wake up. I'll, I'll take that point. No, no, no. You need to walk out of here and you need to treat people better. And it starts with you, yeah. But we want to be followers of Jesus. I don't want to be just a run-of-the-mill evangelical church that follows political party lines, that does all that stuff. I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus is neither Republican nor Democrat. They're both wrong. Neither one has the path of Jesus. I'll tell you that. I'm busting some of your bubbles right now. And you're really mad. God raised one man up, and his name was Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, man. Don't ever let me go two weeks without preaching again. Okay, I love what the Samaritan woman says to Jesus. She's like, one day Christ will come, and he'll let us know what's going on. He'll settle this little dispute we're having. And... uh, Jesus said, the one you're talking to is him. I'm he. All right, I need to hurry. Jesus wasn't concerned about his reputation, are we? He was constantly questioned about the company that he kept. Some of you don't like some of the situations and stuff I mentioned today. It's all right. Take that. Challenge yourself with that. Ask yourself, is Jesus, you know, are those people really the image of God? Jesus did not say, he did not say, I was innocently imprisoned and you visited me. Or I was innocently imprisoned. Or I was hungry at no fault of my own. I mean, I had a full-time job. It just, you know, the stock market crashed. Jesus doesn't give any disclaimers. He just says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked. Well, why didn't you plan better, Jesus? You could have went to 
clothes closet or you could have went to Goodwill or you could have done this. Jesus, you didn't plan very well. That's what it sounds like to me. You think anybody's going to say that to Jesus? No. So why do we say it so freely to people who Jesus tells us, I'm them? He didn't say I was innocently imprisoned because that would have been a martyr. Martyrs were, in that time, everybody loved a martyr. She leaves her pitcher. That's another detail I love about this story. She came for water. She gets so excited about Jesus. She drops what she came with and goes. I love this. Okay, so I, my whole message is climaxes, is pushing you. I want you to take risks this week. I talked about taking risks at the beginning. I want you to take risks. Talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to. Engage people you wouldn't normally engage. I want you to take risks. They come to him and they say, uh, she leaves her pitcher and they're like, Jesus, eat. Rabbi, eat. Because they weren't going to eat until Jesus ate. And they were hungry. They were hangry. You ever been hungry? You ever been hangry? We went to Olive Garden one time and I should have known better. The kids were younger. Let me tell you, young parents, parents of young children, order in for the next 10 years. <laughs> Save yourself a lot of frustration and headache. I'm just kidding. But that seemed to be our experience. <laughs> and I will say that that was Hannah's fault mostly because when she was little, Miles didn't care. He just... Let me see, now how can I pick on Ellie, my third child? I might as well say something about her. But have you ever been, we went to Olive Garden, that's what I was getting at, and it was going to be like a 35-minute wait. Well, we had a couple kids, we're like, yeah, yeah, man, I just want a little spaghetti, you know. <laughs> I just want some, you know, the trio sampler. That's worth the wait. 35 turned into 45. I'm getting hungry. They finally see us, they're busy, they're short-staffed. It took forever. By the time our food got there, we were not only unrecognizable as Christians, we were unrecognizable as humans. It's just like, <laughs> Have you ever been so hungry that nothing else mattered? Have you ever been so hungry that it occupied your mind? You couldn't think of anything else. That's some of you right now. You're like, just shut up, man. I want to get to somewhere. Have you ever been that hungry where that was just right here? It's like, oh, nothing else matters. I don't care what you're saying. Yeah. Jesus says to the disciples, I have food. I've got something to do that you don't know anything about. There's something driving me. When was the last time you looked at someone and let that drive you? You looked at someone and said, man, I don't, I don't, I, 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 no matter what, I've got to help them. No matter what I do, I'm not doing anything until, I mean, that's how we are with food. No matter what I do, I'm, oh, I'm going to eat. Just give me something. I don't care what. Little Debbie's. I don't. <laughs> when was the last time you looked at someone and had that kind of fire, that kind of passion for helping them, for bringing them to Jesus, for bringing them love and mercy and kindness that you have for your own belly? Uh -huh. When was the last time? Jesus said, I've got food that you guys don't know anything about. So I'm telling you, this week, take a chance. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is white. Jesus says that to the disciples. Don't say four months and then the harvest. There are people that you're... 
we're like the disciples. This past week, I spent just like these disciples. You go to the grocery store, like, okay, I don't make eye contact with anybody. Maybe we won't see anybody we know. Uh, you know, go to, oh, there's too many people in that aisle, you know. We go to work. Oh, surely God's not here. I've got to deal with this. It's Monday again. <laughs> we go home. We've got crying kids, smart mouth teenagers, you know, whatever. Whatever. Surely God's not here. No, no, God is there. Opportunity is there. Don't keep your head down at the grocery store. She was just going to get something to drink and found Jesus. Somebody's going to go to the grocery store that you're going to this week. And they might find Jesus. If your eyes are open, if you look up, Jesus says, look up. Behold the harvest. Take chances this week. Push yourself this week out of your comfort zone. Talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to. Engage people who you wouldn't normally engage. God's everywhere. He's at home. He's at work. He's at the grocery store. He's at the gas station. He's at the coffee shop. He's at Chick-fil-A. He's at Target. He's at Walmart. Believe it or not, God is at Walmart. <laughs> Look up. Look up. Push yourself. Challenge yourself. Talk to somebody this week that if your friends saw you, they'd say, hmm. Challenge yourself. Engage somebody this week that if other people saw you, they'd be like, mm hmm. You're going to ruin your good reputation. There was an old country song, you're going to ruin my bad reputation. <laughs> you're going to ruin your reputation if you talk to them, if you hang out with them. I'm not here for reputation. I'm here to bring living water to other people. Amen. Amen. All right, let me put a caboose on this thing. Uh, did somebody want to come and play uh, something softly? I don't know. You know, when we think about this st story, maybe, maybe you find yourself in this story somewhere. Maybe in this story, you're the Samaritan woman. You're tired. You're, you're tired of, of the pain of your life. You're tired of, of the suffering. You're tired of, of the same old, same old. Uh, and maybe that's you. Maybe, you. maybe you feel that. Maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you need this living water. Maybe you need this spring coming up out of you. You say, man, all that stuff sounds good, but I got nothing to give. I got nothing to give myself. I, 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 need, I need Jesus for myself. And if that's you this morning, Jesus is here. This living water that I'm talking about, he's here. And maybe you're like the disciples in the story and you're like, you're too judgmental of everybody else. You're, you're too worried about how everybody else is treating. You're, you're too worried about your own self, your own needs, your own food. And maybe you need delivered from that. Maybe you need God to help you with that. Or maybe, and this is going to sound weird, but maybe you're like Jesus in this story. You just need to take a chance. You're like, yeah, but he was the son of God. He was Jesus. Hey, he's in you. He's with you. The same Jesus that talked to the Samaritan woman is in you. So I don't know where you are with that. I, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. And 